It's December. When you show up to worship in chapel, you show up to worship in your church, you're most likely going to be singing Christmas carols. We only sing them once a year, and so sometimes these texts kind of go through, we see them, we sing them, and we don't really think about them. But I encourage you to ponder, ponder anew on some of those words, especially as you're reading through Isaiah and Jeremiah and your private worship times, and you start, oh, wait a minute, I've read something like this. These songs help us to cultivate our faith, to help us to sing our faith. Let's stand this morning as we sing, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Thank you and good morning. Welcome to chapel. We are in Christmas mode now. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know you did, but now we switch modes and now we're talking and thinking about and singing about Christmas because we are through with school before Christmas comes around. So we have to start Christmas singing early and that's what we're doing and we're glad to see each of you present in chapel today. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and seek his face and ask his blessings upon us. Heavenly Father, how we thank you today for every blessing that has come from heaven above. And Lord, we know that every good and every perfect gift does come down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. And Lord, we accept that as from thee. And we pray, Lord, today that you would speak to our hearts in this chapel time, encourage us in the witness for Christ at this time 
time of year. And Lord, make it possible for us to share with many people across the days to come. Lord, we thank you today for our speaker. We pray heaven's blessings upon him, the important work that he has to do. And we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And thank you. And you may be seated. And uh, let me just remind you that uh, Christmas is a unique time of the year, which we ought to take advantage of as we never do. Um, actually, because of what's happened in our churches, you hardly ever hear Christmas hymns in the churches anymore. That's a shame, isn't it? But you can go to the mall and hear them there. And uh, so when you get to the mall and you hear them there, remember that everybody else has listened to them for the first time, too, out there. And so that gives you an opportunity to share Christ. Christmas time is the best time of the year for sharing the message of Christ. And I hope you'll take advantage of that and seize that opportunity uh, during these days. Well, uh, today, in just a moment, we're going to read God's Word. We continue reading through the book of Acts. We're getting close to the end today in chapter 27. Brother Daniel Siles is going to come and uh, read to us. He is a third, year, a third semester student in biblical counseling, and uh, he's going to come and read God's Word for us, and then we'll sing one more time. And then today, our message in music is going to be brought by Ian Burge, who is a ninth grade Southwestern Music Academy student, and uh, he's going to be playing for us on the piano and to Today is his birthday, so in advance, Brother Ian, happy birthday to you. I hope you have a wonderful day today, and you're kind to come on your birthday and bless us and play for us. And then today, we're delighted to have with us as our speaker, a precious friend of mine, uh, Dr. Mitch Glazer, who is uh, the president of Chosen People Ministries. Now, as you would gather, that is a ministry to our Jewish friends, and at that particular time in the service, he is going to come and, um, and be our speaker today. Uh, he is uh, married to Sahaba, and uh, they have two daughters. He is a graduate of uh, Talbot Theological Seminary and has his Ph.D. in Intercultural Studies from Fuller Theological Seminary. But he was not affected by that, and so we're grateful for that. And uh, so uh, he is a great preacher of the Word of God, and we love him and appreciate him so very, very much. A little later, I'm going to tell you how you can get the invaluable books that he has written. They're right out front, and has he ever got a deal for you today? And I'm going to tell you about those, and they even involve some of our own uh, professors here who wrote in those books also. We'll tell you about that at the right time. Now, I will tell you this about Dr. Glazer. He, uh, uh, he has a remarkable propensity to get people in trouble, uh, chiefly I. Uh, he um, managed to get me up to New York City some years ago, and we got the whole rabbinate down on me. And uh, so it didn't bother him, but they came after me. And so I'll always remember him affectionately as the guy who nearly got me killed. Actually, only one of about 50 that did that. And so I have um, great appreciation for this man. I'm so glad that he's with us today. You're going to be blessed when you listen to him speak in just a few moments. All right, Daniel, come, if you will, and read God's Word for us, and then we'll sing and listen to Ian Burge on the piano, and then to Dr. Mitch Glazer as he comes to bring God's message.
you will and are able, would you please stand the reading of God's holy word this morning? But when the 14th night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out the anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. May God add his blessings to the reading of his sufficient word that will stand forever.
from another planet. So my people have died because of Jesus. So don't you tell me that Jesus is my Messiah. Well, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in a neighborhood called Bensonhurst, where Judaism was more cultural than anything else. Uh, the only time we went to synagogue was on the high holidays. I was about 11 years old, and it was, we had Hebrew school on Sunday morning. A group of older Catholic kids grabbed my kippah, and they began flipping it around. You are a Christ killer. I said, what are you talking about? I mean, Jesus was a, a historical figure from centuries before. How could I be a Christ killer? And my dad, who had a lot of bad experiences in World War II, said they've been blaming us for his death for centuries. At their core, they're anti-Semitic, they hate Jews. In uh, the company that I worked for, Texaco, the office that we worked in was a bunch of cynical New Yorkers, and now we're told this Texan is going to be our boss. Hi, how y'all doing? I'm VR. He didn't even have a, a name, he just had initials. And my dad always said the worst, most anti-Semitic Christians were people from the South. 20 to 8, I walk into the office, and there's BR waiting with a smile on his face. Hi, how y'all doing? How could someone be so happy on Monday morning? He says, I'm just happy every day. I just wanted to find out what the deal was with him. So I said to him, BR, I never hear a bad word come out of your mouth. You never say anything about anyone. You're always calm. You're always peaceful. What's the deal? Why are you so different? And I'll never forget this. He looked me in the eye. And he said, are you sure you want to hear the, the reason? And then he takes out, out of his desk drawer, the biggest Bible I ever saw in my life. A lot of ribbons hanging out, obviously well-worn. And he said, this Bible, this is what makes me different. I read the Word of God every day. And I thought to myself, man, this guy wants to tell me about Jesus. Oh, man, what have I done? And he said something to me that nobody had ever said before. He said, Rich... Jesus isn't only my Savior, He's your Messiah. Well, I got so angry when he said that. And I said to him, look, Jesus is not the Messiah. He's not. He would bring, he's supposed to bring peace in the world. There's no peace in the world, and my people have been killed because of Jesus. If you want to stay my friend, you'll never tell me about Jesus again. And he never did. One particular night I was watching TV, my, my kids were in bed, and my wife came home, and she walked down the steps, and I sat up to say hi to her, but instead of her saying hello, she started crying. She says, you need to believe in Jesus. That's the only way to get to heaven. I said, what? Who told you that? And man, that really caused us to have a big argument. Now that'll get you to the website. <laughs> Let me tell you the good news. He got saved. And not only did he get saved, his son Joel, I think, almost graduated from Southwestern. And uh, I think he has one assignment left. And uh, Rich's uh, daughter-in-law, Donna, who some of you might know, also graduated Southwestern. And for those of you who know this wonderful co couple, they just had their first baby, Eleonora. And they're teaching English uh, in China, Joel and uh, Donna.
I mean, I think it was pretty wild that the, the two Jewish kids at Southwestern met each other and got married. I mean, <laughs> makes me want to send my daughters here. Uh, but the good news is uh, Rich Freeman did come to faith, and uh, a lot of Jewish people uh, miraculously, in one way or another, have been able to get over the deep prejudices that Jewish people have towards Christianity, which we don't know a lot about, until we meet people like BR uh, or other people. And uh, we realize that uh, some Gentiles really love the Jewish people, and that love is driven by a love for the Jewish Jesus. And because of that, Jewish people constantly are opening their hearts uh, to the Lord. My goal this morning is to encourage you to share the gospel with Jewish people. And, uh, you know, we make pretty good evangelists. If you don't know if that's true or not, just keep reading Acts, you'll see. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so I hope that many of you, wherever you go, whatever you do, will be reaching uh, Jewish people. It's, it's always an honor to speak at Southwestern. We have so many friends here, and we deeply appreciate the partnership we've had in the gospel. And uh, we have so many Southwestern graduates that we're, we're friends with and that we work with. I can't even list all their, all their names. And, uh, but we praise God for all the, the good things that, that God is doing. So I would like to give you some biblical motivation this morning to share the gospel with Jewish people. And uh, there is an argument and when that argument is not made, then Jewish evangelism tends to diminish. And the argument, if I can, can I use a big word? I know you're almost at finals, but it's, it's what I call the eschatological argument. And that links the second coming of Christ with the salvation of Israel. And therefore, if you want to see Jesus, then you'll reach Jewish people. Does that make sense to you? It's a pretty straightforward argument argument. It's, it's, it's pretty biblical. Now, I don't know when you think uh, Jesus is coming back. Uh, I'd be interested in your theories. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, as I was writing in a, in a letter today, I'm the president of a mission organization. You know, we write lots of letters. And so I was writing a letter this morning, and, I, and I, I'm writing it for January, and I said, well, the good thing about 2016 is we're one year closer to the second coming. <laughs> It's true, and Christians have been saying it for years and years and years. When I was a, a brand new believer, I had a, a slightly different background than my good friend Rich Freeman. Uh, Rich is what I would call a irreligious but nice Jewish boy. I was a more religious but bad Jewish boy. And at least I knew what I was rejecting. And uh, I was raised in a, sort of a nominal Orthodox Jewish home, bar mitzvah at age of 13. Everything I knew about Judaism was more religious, more orthodox Judaism. And I kind of fled from the synagogue when I was uh, 13 and one day. <laughs> and, uh, and eventually went to college, dropped out of college, and did what every self-respecting middle-class Jewish person did in 1970. I became a Jewish hippie. <laughs> and uh, I went out to the only place in the world uh, where hippies could feel comfortable, I went to San Francisco. There were no flowers in my hair, however. What I didn't know is that God was doing something incredible, and literally tens of thousands 
of Jews and Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus in what was known as the Jesus Movement. And people were getting baptized in oceans all over California. <laughs> and so my two best friends were influenced uh, by some of these Jesus freaks, and uh, they became followers of Jesus. And then uh, they brought me to their <clears throat> commune up in the state of Oregon, and I met uh, not BR, but Mike. And Mike uh, had a long beard, no mustache, looked like a cross between a Hasidic Jew and an Amish person, you know? <laughs> and he absolutely loved people, and he especially loved Jewish people, and every dumb question I asked him, he handed me a Bible and said, Mitch, look, that's in your Bible. You know, the thick part's all yours found out the thin part was also partly ours too, you know, mostly. And, and so I began reading the Bible in English, which was um, much easier for me. My Hebrew wasn't all that good. And, and uh, just came to love the Bible and then asked God if he was, if he was real. And uh, sure enough, uh, he answered me. And um, <clears throat> uh, I was in a phone booth late at night in the middle of the Redwood Forest looking at moonbeams. You, you understand, some of you, okay. And, I, and one of those moonbeams fell on the ledge where there should have been a phone book. If you don't know what those are, look it up in Wikipedia. And there was, a, there was no phone book. Instead, there was a copy of what was called Good News for Modern Man. And I didn't know what it was. And some of you still don't. But I didn't know what it was. And I saw the chapters were weird. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And, I mean, who, who names chapters after people like that? And uh, finally, I, I figured out, small print, it was a modern English version of the New Testament, and for the first time, I realized that God was tracking me. <laughs> and so I stole the New Testament, I read it, and argued with God, I really wanted a King James. But anyway, so I read it, and quickly realized that we had missed the boat. Jesus was the Messiah. Most of all, he was Jewish. Did you know that? I know, he doesn't look like that in his pictures, but he really was Jewish. <laughs> well, I accepted the Lord, and I became a full-blown Jesus freak. My hair at that time was uh, very, very long, but clean. And, and uh, I began sharing my faith immediately. Uh, the, the Jesus people didn't, didn't think about evangelism. We just got saved and went out on the streets and began talking to people about Jesus. And the reason we did that is because we knew Jesus was coming back. We had discussions. So do you think you'll get married before Jesus gets back? Do you think you're going to graduate college before Jesus gets back? I mean, these were serious discussions. You know, we expected the Lord at any moment. And uh, I went back to New Jersey, and, uh, and I enrolled in Bible college, I didn't know that's where people went to study for the ministry. I just thought, hey, you can study the Bible and get a degree. How cool is that? You know? And so I entered Bible college, and uh, I then realized that's where people went to, to do ministry. And, uh, and God really uh, uh, blessed me there. But my parents, for some reason, didn't want to pay my way through Bible college to become a missionary to the Jewish people. How unfair, really, when you think about it. And... Uh, and so, 
uh, I had to get a job, so I was working uh, in my first year as a roofer. And trust me, the only Jew you want on your roof is, you know, fiddling. <laughs> and so it was, it was getting dark, and I was, I was working with my, my ex-best friend who had to fire me the next day after I fell through the roof. But I was, I was, I was on the roof, and I, it, was, it, was, it was time to get down, but we didn't know that because we were, we were, it was really past twilight. And, and I was looking off the side of the roof, and there off the side of the roof, I, fi- I saw him. He was hanging there between, suspended in, in the air. And it was Jesus, lit up with blue and gold lights. And I realized at that moment, because I just started Bible college, I realized that I hadn't taken the course in what to do at the rapture. Okay? And so I didn't, I didn't no, no matter what your view is on the rapture, just listen carefully because this is important. Because if you, if you don't have a course like that at Southwestern, you need one. Because I didn't know what to do. I mean, if, if it was Jesus and this was it, I mean, do you wave your hand? I mean, you want to be left? I mean, do you give him a head start? Do you jump a little bit? I mean, I, mean, I hadn't even started going to Sunday school yet. I was, I was brand new. And so I called my friend over and I said, come here quick, quick, because I didn't know what was going to happen. And he just starts laughing. He says, come on. I said, no, no, look, it's, it, this is it. And he, he said, it's not it. I said, it is it. Just, just look. And I was afraid of heights, so I shouldn't have really been a roofer. So I, I looked over the side, and Jesus was attached to the uh, public library. <laughs> it was a statue. It was far away. But I was so ready for Jesus to come back. I was so ready to be raptured. That, and by the way, if, it, if you don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, don't worry about it. Dr. Patterson and I will grab your hand on the way up, okay? And so I didn't... And so I was, I was on a second coming hair trigger. And you know, when you really believe that Jesus is coming back any moment, it changes the way you live. Doesn't it? And that's the way we should live. Is I don't... I don't want the Jesus movement and how I felt about the second coming to be a memory. I I want God to cultivate that and nurture that in my soul and in my life. Don't you want that? I mean, some of you are sometimes, you're looking forward to graduation more than the second coming, you know? That I don't blame you for. (laughs) But we we really need to look forward to what the Lord is going to do. And I think that it's all tied together with Jewish evangelism because we have to ask our question, and that is, how can we nurture the uh, sense of of the second coming in our souls? I think part of that is to understand the role of Israel in God's plan and to understand what God's doing in Israel and among the Jewish people. Because the Jewish people are linked to the second coming. What's happening with Israel will let you know when the second coming is coming, and it's coming close. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to, uh, and I know you have the New American Standard that you can just pop on the screen. So I gave up the good news, just so you know. It's good for light reading at times. So Matthew 23, looking at verse 37. Matthew 23, verse 37. 
When is Jesus coming back? Jesus was at the apex of intensity in his conflict with the Pharisees. And we're getting near the end. And of course, in chapter 23, uh, you have the seven woes. Just look in your Bible, it says it, seven woes. And, and we call them the seven oives among Jewish people. And uh, these are, are very harsh, severe judgments upon the Jewish people for unbelief. And uh, instead of zapping the Jewish people, which is probably what I would have done, our loving, kind, gracious, merciful Savior does something else. Look at verse 37. O Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. A long history of God's grace in Israel's rebellion. In verse 38 we read, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. This is important because the word there, house, the Greek word corresponds to the Hebrew word bayit, which means house. And almost in first uh, uh, century Judaism, in Second Temple, the word house in rabbinic literature was always used to, in reference to the temple. And so he's talking about the temple. So behold, your house, the temple, is being left to you desolate. Brothers and sisters, this is the only specific judgment upon the Jewish people, Jewish leaders for rejecting Jesus in the first century. Otherwise, we're all in the same boat. So this is a specific judgment. And of course, this judgment was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Romans swept in, destroyed Jerusalem, and uh, took apart the temple. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And then in verse 39, Jesus says, For I say to you, from now on you shall not see me. I almost think that that was a more severe judgment. That Jesus was actually going to leave you. He was not going to establish his kingdom in response to Israel's rebelliousness. Rather, he was going away. Now we know according to the prophets that he needed to go away, and he needed to go away in a specific way. He needed to be crucified according to Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 in order to fulfill all of the many prophecies that spoke about the Lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. But he says, for, I say to you from now on, you shall not see me, so I am leaving. And then there's the blessed little word, until. This is one of the favorite words for me and my family in the Bible. You will not see me until. In other words, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. You will not see me until you say, speaking to the Jewish leaders, and now look carefully at the New American Standard on this one. You will not see me until you say, Baruch haba Bashem Adonai. Got that in your Bibles? You will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, here's a specific temporal judgment, but it's not 
all there is to the story. There's still hope. Even though I am also leaving, I am coming back, but I will come back when you change your minds about me. I will come back when you repent and you turn to me and recognize that I am your true bridegroom and savior. Because Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai is what rabbis to this very day will say when the groom comes to take his bride. And I've said it many times in Messianic Jewish weddings. Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai, come, take your bride. Your bride is ready to say yes. And so the word here is very simple. Israel will not see Jesus. They will not enter into this covenant marriage. They will not become the people that God always wanted the Jewish people to be until the Jewish people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which means that the day is coming when Jewish people will turn to Jesus, and when Jewish people turn to Jesus, then Jesus will return. Now, if you're not involved in reaching Jewish people for Jesus, then what does that say about your passion for the second coming? Think about it. You can be involved in the transformation of human history. Now, how does that work out on a local church level? Well, number one, you need to think about it. You need to believe it. You need to help your people understand it. You need to see it as an obligation. You need to see it as part of your mandate. And then you need to become friends with the rabbis, unlike Dr. Patterson and the rabbis in New York. Now, they loved him, actually. They do. You know what the Jewish people love? They love Christians who stand by their convictions. You know that? Sometimes Jewish people give me a hard time just to test me to see if I really believe what I believe. So don't be afraid of standing on your convictions within the Jewish community. Love them for real and reach them for Jesus for real, and they'll respect you for it. Now, I want to uh, just close with, with one passage. And uh, so if you make a left at Matthew, and go to Zechariah chapter 12. You, you know this passage, probably. This is a prophetic passage, about one minute to 12, Zechariah 12, 10. And this will help get us some specific details now about when Jesus is coming back, and if I'm wrong, then the next time I come to Southwestern, you can stone me. So Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. One minute to 12, okay, prophetically speaking. This hasn't happened yet, but it will happen for sure because it's in God's word. And we know that it hasn't happened yet. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In other words, the day is coming according to the prophet, and this is consistent throughout Scripture, 
that an end-time remnant of Jewish people will turn to Jesus, and Jesus will return. This is a great theme and an important theme throughout Scripture. If we want to see Jesus, we need to reach Jewish people with the gospel. Ultimately, hallelujah, God himself turns the hearts of the Jewish people. Now, when is that coming? Well, number one, the Jews need to be back in Israel. Any chance of that? I can give you seven million reasons if you want to. Or how about this? How many, how many jumbo LL jets does it take to move seven million Jewish people out of Israel? So is there anything special about the return of Jewish people to the land? How could it not be? Is this the end of it all? Of course not. Is this the beginning of it all? Of course it is. Of course it is. And so you have Jewish people back in the land. He pours out his spirit on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jewish people must be living in Jerusalem. So this has to take place after 1967. Now, will Jerusalem be given back to uh, uh, the Palestinians and so on? I'm a missionary, I'm not a politician. Uh, but I know this much, that it's unlikely. As a Jew, I can tell you it's impossible. The Jewish people will rather die. And so Jews, Jewish people now have Jerusalem. But here's the one thing that I'm really uncertain about, and maybe you can help me. Do you think there's any possibility that Israel will be surrounded by enemies? <laughs> just, just asking. Think so? Could it happen? So after 2,000 years, we have the miracle of Jewish people returning to the land of Israel, having Jerusalem, being surrounded by enemies, and we sit here and we wonder if we're getting closer to the second coming of Christ. Brothers and sisters, it has been said in every generation, but after 1948, we're living in a different eschatological world. It is happening before our very eyes, and so I pray that God will motivate us while we have the time to be part of his plan in reaching Jewish people for Jesus. And then Jesus will return. I'm going to uh, conclude, and some preachers actually do after they say they're going to conclude. So this is close to conclusion. Romans chapter 11, 11, let's put it very specifically. And I think uh, what happened uh, with Rich and with so many of us makes this abundantly clear. Verse 11 of Romans 11, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? The Jewish people in their unbelief did not permanently fall out of God's plan. Did that happen? Paul reminds me of a rabbi I had in my second year of Hebrew school who asked questions and always answered them. Okay, so Paul says, may it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. How many Gentiles do we have here this morning? Raise your hand. Be proud of being a Gentile. Okay, good. Great job with the Gentiles here. Salvation has come to the Gentiles, and then... Greek professors, you can straighten me out later. He adds a purpose clause to make them jealous. 
The gospel has gone from the Jews to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles can bring it back to the Jewish people. How much plainer can the Bible be? God wants Gentiles to make Jewish people jealous by allowing the Jewish person who lives inside of you to transform your life and to love his people through you. That's my prayer, that God will use you, wherever you are and whatever you do, to reach Jewish people and to participate, brothers and sisters, in the second coming of Christ. What a privilege that is. Now, in closing, again, everybody got a brochure, okay? In this brochure is a place for you to uh, fill out a form. And what I'm going to do is, of course, send you lots of fundraising letters, because I know seminary students are wealthy. Uh, but I want you to fill this out, okay? And then I'm going to send you a, uh, a free book on Jewish evangelism, because I not only want you to want to do this, I want to help you do this. And you can take this and put it on the book table that Dr. Patterson will probably mention again, and that will be in the back. And uh, we also have uh, an uh, evangelistic newsletter called I Found Shalom, which is linked to our ifoundshalom.com website, where you can see about 40 or 50 more testimonies like riches of Jewish believers who have come to faith in Jesus. So we want you to be engaged even now in reaching your Jewish friends and neighbors for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for the opportunity to be here at the Southwestern Chapel and to see the lovely faces of your servants, students and faculty and staff. And I thank you for each and every one of them, and I pray that you would bless them and give them strength, encourage their hearts, give them vision, give them hope. And Lord, I pray that you would use my brothers and sisters in making your chosen people, the Jewish people, jealous so that they desire to have the same Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I tell you the truth, um, there are so many things I want to say to you, and I know that I'm not the preacher. And uh, so let me just say thank you so very, very much, Brother Mitch, for coming today. I think we ought to do this every year because the things that he said to you today are absolutely so. I know some of you don't think you need to study eschatology, and uh, you certainly don't want to st study eschatology with Dr. Queen, but uh, he'll get it straightened out sooner or later, and when he does, well, then you can even study it with him, but you need to study eschatology. I hear you. Stuff's hard. You just think it's hard. It's not that difficult to understand. But you'll never really understand the Bible until you get the point that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And he chose Abraham 
I don't know why he did. I don't know a lot of things about why God does what he did. But he chose Abraham, and he blessed him. And he said, you're going to be the one through whom the Messiah comes. But he also blessed Abraham's people. And everything he said this morning is absolutely true. And you'll never get the Bible until you see the plan of God working through the Jewish people across the years and the years and the years. Besides which, Jewish evangelism is more fun. You heard him talking about rich. You heard him talking about his own. Let me tell you, the first 90 days in any Jewish believer's life are the most fun days that you can possibly imagine. I mean, he faces a great tribulation about eight times every day uh, and uh, has to go through it, but it is fun to see how God uses that and works with these people. We are responsible. You say, well, Jewish evangelism is hard. Of course it is, but did you hear what he said? They're testing you to see whether or not you really believe what you believe. This is deadly serious business, young people, and we have to get involved. One of the main reasons to fill out that little form that he's talking about is you will get regular material from this mission that will help you to locate and become involved in reaching Jewish people for Christ. I want you to have that. You need to have that. You need to be aware of that. These people are doing the most amazing job in reaching them for Jesus Christ, and you can be a part of it, and I hope you will. Now, on the book table at the back, we have some wonderful things for you. Isaiah 53 explained there is no topic in this world that is as scintillating as the atonement of Christ given in Isaiah 53. Can you believe 750 years before Christ, Isaiah saw it all clearly? Unbelievable what God gave to him. And so this little booklet is a booklet that will help you. Remember, you've got to have 1,500 to graduate. The four I'm going to tell you about right now are absolutely essential. This by Mitch Glazer, Isaiah 53, explain. Get it back at the back. Now, for only $10 a piece, you'll never be able to get this kind of thing for $10 a piece. Here is the people, the land, and the future of Israel, edited uh, and some of it written by Mitch Glazer, but it's also got uh, chapters in here by, hmm, who is this guy? Craig Blazing, Israel and Hermeneutics. Imagine that. And he just told me a while ago, uh, Dr. Blazing, that that chapter should be framed. And uh, I was glad he didn't say frame you, but he just said that chapter should be framed. And so uh, that's an opportunity for you to have that book, $10, $10 for the gospel according to Isaiah 53. And if I'm not mistaken, Dr. David Allen has a chapter in this book. He does. Substitutionary Atonement and Cultic Terminology. David Allen, a chapter right there. So you can get that book. And to the Jew first. The Case for Jewish Evangelism in Scripture and History. It's there. You want to read about it? Sure, be sure it's true. Get this particular book. $10 a piece for those. Can't beat it. You say, well, I don't have $30, but you got to have 1,500 books to graduate, folks. So there is no other alternative. What you must do is to hit up a professor because they are all well-heeled. And I know we pay them well and say, would you buy my three books for me? That's what you need to do. And if that professor does not ante up and each one of them buy at least 
least one set of books for you. You come see me about it. I'll not only buy it for you, but only after you've hit up the professor, you tell me who told you no, and I'll buy your uh, three books for you, okay? All right, everybody got the game plan down. Good, wonderful. Now, let me just make two or three important announcements. First of all, Pancake Exam Cram, Thursday night, December the 10th, from 6 p.m. till midnight. Free pancakes for students and families. Free coffee, and only a dollar for lattes. Um, lattes, and, and uh, I'll get it right here in a minute. Um, just trying to read it. All right, ping pong tournament. I don't know how that's going to help you study, but anyway, there'll be a ping pong tournament and mentors present to help you study. Now, look at all these pianos. Good night. I can't believe it. And uh, that is because on Thursday night, December the 3rd, at 7.30 to 9.30, right here, uh, we're going to have our Keyboards at Christmas program. Now, I know that all you rednecks out there think you uh, shouldn't come to this. This is, first of all, free for you, and I'm going to cost you a penny. I'm going to try to raise all the money I can from you in the middle of it, but I already know you're poor. You don't have much, so I'm planning to get it from some other folks that are going to be there. But but it means a lot to me trying to raise money to keep your scholarships in, in uh, functioning form if you're here to say thank you to those people. And you need the musical expression. Now, this one's not one that's going to be a uh, uh, real high church and hard for you to follow. This is Christmas music. You're going to love it, and I want you to take advantage of it. So please put that down. It's date night. Some of you have been trying to get up courage for a long time to ask that girl out. Uh, you just saw on the screen the evidence that, that it works. Uh, a young Jewish man invites a young Jewish woman, and, and uh, first thing you know, uh, they're married and they're having a baby and they're speaking the gospel in China. That's one of the way it ought to work. You need to bring your wife. If you're already married, she needs to be rewarded for her patience with you. So come and be a part of Keyboards at Christmas. Now, tomorrow in chapel, our own Dr. Barry McCarty is going to be preaching. This is the first time he's preached here. So uh, uh, we're looking forward to hearing him tomorrow. And then on Thursday, Dr. Jimmy Scroggins, uh, the lead pastor at Family Church in uh, Florida is going to be here as our preacher, and uh, he's a great preacher of the Word of God. You'll want to be here and hear him at that time. All right, now, the book table is directly at the back, right back by the baptistry. Your opportunity to get these wonderful books, I promise you, you cannot have anything in your library be anything more important than these four books. You need them. You're going to need them time and time again. Take advantage of it. Uh, Brother Mitch will sign them for you if you want him to. Dr. Blazing put his signature in it. Dr. Allen, I saw him somewhere. He'll put his signature in it if you want him to. It uh, won't make them any more valuable, but it will give you a signature anyway, all right? And so uh, take advantage of it, would you please, all right? Now let's stand together, please, as we sing. And Mitch Glazer will be here at the front at the close. And uh, I don't know. You know, come to think of it, Brother Mitch, we'll send you to the back where uh, we can greet you back there and uh, uh, you can sign books. Uh, so, Dr. Kiker, would you come 
uh, introduce yourself to Dr. Glazer. Uh, this is a man who should do Jewish evangelism, uh, Mitch, and, and uh, he doesn't do much evangelism, but he should do more. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he's going to take you back to the back there and get you set up. Go back and buy the books and introduce yourself uh, to uh, Dr. Glazer. Would you do that? All right, let's sing and we'll be dismissed. Jesus Christ is born. 